0: Thank you. RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org.
1: Hello, and welcome to Closing the Distance. My name is Jeff Myers, one of the pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. I'm sitting here with Dan Kreis. uh gave a marvelous sermon on Sunday uh, about boundary crossing, inclusivity, um, from an interesting story uh, about the Ethiopian eunuch. It you know, summarized what the story was about.
0: It's a, it's an incredible story. I actually cut out the end, which gets, I guess, a little bit. I don't know, kind of crazy, but you know. Anyway, the story is essentially Jesus has has been taken back. It's been you know several weeks or months. We don't really know how how long. And Philip is just kind of there and praying, and gets a word from God. Go over and talk to this Ethiopian guy who happens to be in in Jerusalem worshiping. Although it doesn't really say what or why it just says worshiping so he goes and and just walks in the proximity of this ethiopian eunuch and here's the eunuch reading from isaiah and so i guess he's reading out loud i have no idea what, what's happening but he's he's reading the book of isaiah and then philip just has the gumption to say do you have any idea what you're reading and the ethiopian says not really why don't you come up and join me and tell me what this is and so From that point, he basically explains how these historic ancient prophecies were fulfilled in in Jesus. And then, as I guess, you know, they're in the carriage together, kind of traveling along, and there's some water. And the Ethiopian's like, hey, there's some water. Why don't you baptize me? They're baptized. And, yeah, (laughs) it's a fantastic story. But, again, to me, one, I always wonder about all the – there's lots of stuff in any of the Gospels or the Book of Acts that could have been included that weren't, right? I mean, it's it's not a play-by-play. It's not. So why was that included specifically? And, in, you, know, you know, you don't hear much in Acts about Philip at all. That's the event. Amazing. And then, again, what was trying to be communicated by, you know, the compiler and author of Acts? Like, wh- what's the message? And again, one of the underlying messages is, look, we are just figuring this out as a new church, as a new faith community, and and this belief in Jesus. But we believe it's open to anyone and everyone. Right. So I mean, and we think about the Ethiopian eunuch, and this gets us some kind of muddy waters. But we're not off- only talking about ethnicity. There is like sexual orientation issues, kind of tied up in there, and all kinds of kinds of stuff. And you are just like, dang, yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty advanced, you know. So. Yeah. And you used that,
1: um, I mean, to summarize, I mean, as a model kind of to help us reflect and meditate on the fact that Christ calls us to um, cross boundaries. You know, some of these social divisions that are, I think they're constructed in our world, we're called to deconstruct. What, um, what do you think some of the most challenging boundaries
0: are to cross over? Well, again, so the idea of road crossing or whatever comes from that book by my friend Bruce Maine, who's the president and founder of uh, Urban Promise in Camden, New Jersey, and so the, the book is called "Why Did Jesus Cross the Road." Now, he basically does what I try to do in that sermon and suggests that you know that's something that Jesus has been promoting, actually been part of God's heart from the beginning, even before Christ, like. That The family of God is meant to be much broader. You know, we think about the Abrahamic covenant, you know, I will bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing. And that blessing was not limited to just his family. It was a universal blessing. Right. So, you know, picking up on that theme and and that thread that runs through the Hebrew Bible and then into the New Testament and the church wrestling with all that. So, I mean, you think about the things that in our modern times that are issues in a whole lot of ways, it's not a whole lot different than the issues that were being wrestled with in Old Testament times and certainly in the new church, you know, and, and, the you know, so we're thinking about. You know, think about the things we wrestle with. We ha- we have disagreement, or have had over time. There's different different denominational kind of understandings. But how do we include women? You know, right? The early church was wrestling with that. What does that look like? You know, and so Paul's writing some letters and saying, you know, women need to remain silent. You know, but he's probably speaking there to a very specific cultural group. One church is what he writes that to. In other contexts, to other churches, he's saying, well, here are the leaders of the church enlisting and naming women. So it was kind of, it was specific and cultural rather than kind of a universal women should be silent universally in all the church. He never, I don't believe he thought that at all. You know, the the long, long discussions in the, in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament about uh, gentiles and inclusion and you know and there's questions about circumcision or not circumcision and those you know questions about food and can you eat food sacrificed to idols and all this kind of stuff like who's in and who's out wrestling with ideas about slavery you know, the, the philemon you know the the book of philemon is all about you know here's an escaped slave and he's part of the community and yet his owner quote unquote is also part of the community what do you do with that you know, that's there's a huge question that I think we look at and think, oh, that's nothing to do with us, but it's very similar, I think. Sure, sure. uh, or, so, you know, it's it's mostly, I think that the issues that were wrestled with then tend to be just kind of human interaction issues. And it's, those are very similar today. Well, you
1: talked about urban promise and kind of, and I know you well enough to know that impact that has had on you um, and that ministry in Camden, New Jersey, and having some familiar with familiarity with camden um how did you get involved in urban promise and how were you involved over the years
0: um i i got involved i mean i i I grew up uh in eastern pennsylvania kind of outside of philly and so uh went to eastern university and, and tony campolo was you know Speaker and what and so he had some connection with that ministry in that area in Philadelphia and Camden and but when I started teaching at King in in Bristol I was like I need to find a place where I can take these students and experience urban life I mean King most of the students are coming from East Tennessee or the surrounding areas they'd never really seen urban life the the population in in Sullivan County Tennessee is ninety six percent Caucasian so. Yeah, so it's it's they just you know, and even though the university setting that I was at was much more diverse, there was still you know a very different type of experience, and so I connected with Bruce and and started taking groups up there regularly, so spring break trips up there, or I take athletic teams up there at different times, at the the youth group at the the church that I was working at. So, you know, for probably about twelve years, two, three, four times a year, I would be up there, and and actually they were one of one of the organizations that, uh, when I was kind of looking and and RPC was talking to me, they're like, "Why don't you come here?" And so, <laughs> yeah, oh, that wow. was one of the things they're like, "We really like you to come and and kind of head up this this aspect of this ministry." So. Oh wow! yeah well, RPC won out in the end, so yeah, I don't know. Glad if
1: they, we won out. We're glad yeah. we beat out our old urban promise. What <laughs> if through those short term uh, mission experiences, what kind of um. What kind of transformation did you see
0: in in students through that experience? It was powerful. It was amazing. I I would, you know, if you know anything about Camden and that community, if you've heard anything about it, it's never good. Right. I mean, it's a very small community, technically 90,000 people or so, but one of the most violent and dangerous cities consistently, uh, in the United States. I mean, you hear about, you know, parts of Detroit and parts of, uh, parts of St. Louis and all that kind of stuff. Well, Camden's kind of right there, but right out, I mean, literally kind of half a mile away is Morristown, New Jersey, which supposedly is one of the most idyllic places to live. Right. You know, so it's, it's just, it's just a crazy kind of situation. And so uh, even of uh, college students, parents would call me knowing, Hey, my, my son or daughter is signed up to go on this short-term mission trip. Is it safe? Like, where are you taking them? I've heard about Camden. You can't take a mission trip to a place like Camden. And I, you know, my response would always be my daughter's coming, you know? So if I trust her in that situation, I'm, I'll absolutely, you know, feel confident in this. And again, uh, never had even a sniff of any issue at any time, you know, of any kind of, no, you know, you just, you got to be smart. But it was, and I, I, so I take them. And then I'd often, not all the time, but often get calls from those parents like, I don't know what you did, but you brought back a different person than you took. Uh. And it was just, you know, just the experience. And it's not just, you're not going there to do stuff and change the world. Essentially, my view of mission and ministry is somebody is is committed and embedded in a long-term ministry. So for in this instance, it was Urban Promise. When we go short term to just provide some energy and some, you know, some volunteer work and get work alongside them and what they're already doing, you know, right. rather than us going in and saying, hey, we can fix this or we can do this. So it was a ministry that I trusted. And because, you know, so they were students and myself were able to build relationships with some of the kids or young people that they were working with, it, you know, got to know the staff over time and it was just. Yeah, it was just a, an amazing experience. I mean, I had uh athletes, male athletes, tough male athletes who would come back from from an after school experience in tears. Just like, oh, I God. can't believe this kid just we we just hung out and he told me his life story and we just kind of played games together or I helped him with his homework or whatever. And it's like, yeah, they, they it just it was just transformational. I, I honestly one of the best experiences. That's why I kept going back consistently uh ever. And well, now if we weren't so dang far away, I'd be trying to take people from here. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. What other kind of experiences have you led or participated in Boundary uh, cro- crossing the other side of the street?
0: I mean, that's that's a great question. Um, that's my heart. I mean, I, and honestly, one of the reasons I came here was in the hopes that we could provide those kind of opportunities for our people. Again, mm-hmm. not just young people, not just the youth group, but people of all ages and, and generations to participate. So we've had a little bit of challenge kind of getting that up and running again here at RPC, but we're very hopeful. And so, um, I mean, there's been lots of, lots of different experiences. Camden, there was a, a time, I again, I took a group to Montana to work on an Indian reservation, which was just, you know, Again, I'm experienced that. I, I just, it's hard to fathom. Taking a couple of trips to Kenya, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Been to the Dominican. I mean, all over the world mostly. Right. But again, all those situations, uh, very careful that whoever we're, we're, as we're going, we're going and working alongside people that are already embedded in ministry long-term there. And so that's what makes it transformational because, again, we're not going in as the saviors and we've got, you know, we've got the resources or we've got the the know-how or we've got all this kind of stuff that you guys need. We're going to help these poor people. It's, you know, most of the time, I mean, that might be the motivation for some going, but ultimately when they get there, they realize, oh my goodness, I have learned so much. These people in this context have taught me more about me and my context and myself and and the priorities that I've gotten wrong and all that stuff than I ever thought uh, would happen. And I've learned more than you know, than anything that I could provide, you know, the little that I could provide them. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah. And so we've got some, you know, we're talking now. I actually just wrote uh, to John and I'm thinking about the border ministry. And so trying to book a date to take people to to the border in El Paso and just kind of see what is happening there, really. A, apart from CNN and Fox News and all that kind of stuff and say, here are these people, this is their life. You know, what are their stories and how do their stories resonate with us? How are they similar to our own stories? And, you know, and how are they different from what we hear and the news bits and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely.
1: Uh, And I was just thinking about our our experience at the border, Mexican-American border. That was a really powerful um, time. I mean, it was a brief time, but real to hear about that ministry and to think about those people. How about let's flip it around. When have you experienced somebody coming to the other side of the street where you're at?
0: That's a great question. And all honesty, I think that happens. I think that happened often. That happens in those same situations or those same contexts. Again, if you, if, if, Me as a Westerner or as a as a white middle aged man or whatever, kind of go in and like cavalier and here I am. I'm going to fix all your problems. There's not going to be any doors, any anything open. But if you're going in humble and again, I I like to encourage those I go on mission, lead on mission trips to use your senses in the proportion God gave them to you. So you have two ears and one mouth listen twice as much as you feel like you need to speak that kind of thing and so if you go with that kind of humility I think the, the road crossing is reciprocal that then people kind of feel willing to open their lives and their their ideas and their thoughts in a way that you're like that's that's what's transformational and so consistently in those situations that I feel that that happens
1: yeah well yeah. a lot of may not know your story of I mean how long did you live in New Zealand
0: uh, I was there 17
1: years. And I bet you experienced as a foreigner, you know, alien, stranger in a strange land. How did yeah. you experience, you know, uh, people reaching out to you, befriending you uh, in New Zealand? Because I know that was a powerful
0: time in your y'all's life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't. I mean, it's very easy, right, for for us here in the United States to know when someone is not native. You know, there's an accent or whatever. Even even if they they have the same skin tone or whatever, they look the same. You're like, oh, you know, you're not from around here. Well, again, we spoke the same language, but they knew as soon as I opened my mouth, oh, you're American, right? And so (laughs) sometimes that was good, and they'd ask you all kinds of questions, like how many famous people you met, because I guess they think you live right next door to all the movie stars or whatever. I have No. no idea. Which was the answer was very few. Um. Or sometimes they would be uh you you'd have to, I'd find myself not necessarily defending but a, a giving answer for explaining, uh American military or political kind of choices or what's going on over there. It's like I have no idea. I live here now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I left. So this this will give you some idea of the the length of time when I left this country. Ronald Reagan was president. and I got back and. George the second was president. Wow. So I missed, and I missed all of Clinton. I missed missed, you know, senior George, all of Clinton and part of George second. So yeah, it was a long time. That is wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Puts it in perspective. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, now this theme is, as you said, is really close to your heart. You have been working on a manuscript out of your doctoral work that is going to be published as a book early next year i believe in february
0: correct yes correct february what's the title of the book so the book is called church for everyone and and then the subtitle is a mult the multi-inclusive church for emerging generations so again my heart forever has been about those in the emerging generations young people and their connection to faith and and life within christ and then the the church and you know we've most of us have read about the rise of the nuns, right? And we're not talking about, you know, the flying nun, N-U-N. Right. But N-O-N-E-S, like those who have disassociated from faith altogether. And so it's kind of investigates that and, and sees that the, the monocultural expression of the church, and again, this is not just a, a white thing or a middle class thing. It, it is fairly universal worldwide, and yet I'm, I'm convinced it's not necessarily God's intent for the church. I understand why we kind of gather together, but uh, that that communicates something to emerging generations that I don't think any of us desire to communicate. And one of those things is that uh, we have it all figured out. And so, you know, we we don't allow or don't like differences we want everyone to be the same and look the same and act the same and worship the same in a whole lot of ways right. and so for emerging generations who are emerging generations of the most diverse generation in this country ever in right. terms of ethnicity in terms of you know their their gender breakup in terms of their uh their political ideologies in terms of their academic stuff, every other context that they are in, in school and sports. And you know, if they're in musical programs and work and all that stuff, there's this huge diversity. And then they walk into a church and they're like, huh, <laughs> right. it's groupthink." And there's like, that's that, you know, so to meet them, I think that it, it communicates an antiquated way of looking at the world. And and that certainly is not my experience or what I believe God wants to see in the church so that's kind of the motivation for the book so is your is the book is it a call to action and how
1: to become more diverse or more open to the other, so to speak
0: sort of i mean it's it's certainly not a, a play-by-play like this is what you have to do it, it kind of raises that question that why does the church look the way it looks you know it's kind of based on that quote that i talked from mlk but not exclusively you know mlk Why is you know it's appalling that 11 o'clock on a on a sunday morning is the most you know, segregated hour in christian america kind of picks up from that but but in a whole lot of ways it kind of suggests but it's, it's deeper than that it's more than that and that's why we use the word i actually coined the term multi-inclusive because again i'm coming from a context when this was written in East Tennessee, that's 96% Caucasian. There is right. no ability to be multi-ethnic in that context, right? We have to shut down every African-American church in the whole county and have them all go to one church to be to be legitimately multi-ethnic. Not possible. But I asked myself, well, what are some other barriers that we put up? So, I'm in a Presbyterian Church in East Tennessee, and it's a great church, a good community. It was in a a specific community. And again, much like RPC, people drove all over the place to come to that church. And yet, I don't know that we reflected our surrounding community. There were some that were close, but I mean, in that surrounding community were some some you know some significant poverty, uh, you know, the Presbyterian Church tends to be a fairly academic denomination and so you know there were you know there's not a lot of people that that weren't kind of middle class upper middle class college degrees and all that kind of stuff and yet there's no you know jesus doesn't exclude people who don't have college degrees you know so what is it that you know that our church that church was doing that said to those people you don't really fit in here this is not your space and so in the sermon yesterday, we talked a little bit about you know if if we kind of limit ourselves to those who are just like us, then we ha- it narrows our our understanding of who God is, mm-hmm. and that uh, to me that's the issue, and it's not just the issue for those in emerging generations; it's for all of us. I need that, and I I shared that in one of the services. You know, I I don't. <laughs> I don't preach from notes, so all the sermon, all three of them were slightly different. <laughs> but in one of them, I kind of shared the illustration of I'd been traveling with Cindy to see her family, and we went to, to the Greek Orthodox Church for a, yes. a service, right? And so it's a completely different expression of faith. Totally. But again, very moving and powerful, and the object is the same, right? With the, the audience is, remains God. I'm not the audience. So if it's not, you know, it's not something that I fully understand or fully embrace, I can still embrace the idea that we are all worshiping one God and that God is the audience. And I can kind of understand and grow from that as a result of that context. So it broadens my perspective and think, huh, you know, I can never see Betsy kind of giving you and I as we're getting ready to lead worship. Okay, well, here's our readings. And this is the this is the chant that you need to use this week. And you're like, oh, please, right. no, that's not going to happen. But for me to hear that, you know, was powerful because again, it, it put a different cadence on the words that were being said or sung at that time. It kind of put different emphasis on things. I heard things in a different way because of that context. And so those are the relationships that do the same thing. And so that's really powerful. I want I want, to, I want to have a broader understanding of who God is and how God is working and then what God desires of me. And so I think I think that's universal even if it's uncomfortable and again particularly for those in emerging generations. Right.
1: Well, fantastic. The book is called Church for Everyone. It comes out in February. Can we pre-order
0: it? It is currently apparently available on Amazon as a pre-order, if you wanted to. Definitely available on University Press. If you do InterVarsityPress, IVP.com, um, it's available. Um, yeah, we don't have any hard copies yet. There are There's a PDF copy going around, but it's still password protected. There's just some pre-readers kind of looking at it. But yeah, right. we're and excited then- about it. And I hope to be able to, you know, maybe in the fall after it's been out, done the dust settles a little bit maybe we'll do a, a sunday school class here at rpc based on that book and be able to kind of discuss it
1: i think that'd be beautiful i think it'd be, that's a yeah. great and for
0: those again for this uh bruce main book it's out of print now as far as i understand but i've left a few copies you know at the front desk there were a few several people that came out and said oh that's really interesting it's a it's a really it's an easy read but it's a you know a good read." A lot of stories about what's happening in Camden. So there's some at the front desk with Sheree if some people want to come by and borrow one and read it and then bring it back so somebody else can read it.
1: Very good. Very good. All right, Dan. Well, thanks again for uh, closing the distance. Anything else? What are you watching, reading outside of uh, your mission and preaching stuff?
0: Hmm. Well, so last night, yesterday afternoon, I was pretty tired. It was a long day after preaching and then helping decorate and all that kind of stuff. The Eagles played at 4.30 yesterday afternoon. It's an overtime win, you know, a 60-yard field goal with 20 seconds to go. That was epic dude you know i know people you know don't don't appreciate that i'm an eagles phillies fan but that's just that's what you got you know i could have gone to camden they would have embraced it but i came here so you know you you get what you get
1: well you were almost perfect until you became a phillies fan
0: i i I was born a phillies fan i
1: can't
0: i can't help that so i mean i don't think ryan's a phillies fan so there there are some differences between us (laughs) that's a good point (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for closing the
1: distance. Um, this coming Sunday, we will begin Advent, the season of preparation for Christmas. So I invite people to come back. We'll have 8, 15, 9, 30, 10, 45, and 11. It's going to be a great uh, worship service. The sermon series will be living traditions. And we're going to talk about some of the practical ways we prepare uh, our hearts, our spirits, our souls for uh, the season of Christmas.
0: Nice.
1: So it's gonna be fun. We've also
0: got our Advent. Don't we have our daily Advent kind of readings? When does that start?
1: That starts, I think, on Monday, next Monday.
0: Oh, That's great because oh, well. people from the, the entire congregation have shared their Advent stories, and they're fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be really good. And then, um, yeah, we have the women's Advent service tonight. No, tomorrow night. Seven well, sanctuary. And then, um, and then. Uh, we have Glory of Christmas coming up in a couple Sundays, the big Christmas event yep, So we got a lot going on here in the Christmas season. The wreaths are up, everything's ready to go. So come and uh, celebrate the spirit of the season and the one who lays uh, in the manger. Yes. You, Dan. Thank you. All right. Thanks,
0: Jeff. You
1: Yeah.